Well, one of the ways I'm rejoicing and, being, and giving thanks to the Lord today is for all the ways he's combining new people with new gifts in our congregation. Thank you, Nate and Lillian and the rest of the worship band, Becky, Jacob, Jim, uh, and of course, Christine, uh, for bringing that together this morning. I will bless thee. I will praise thee all my days. We have a privilege of praising the Lord. I'll be honest. I think most of my days I spend a lot of time complaining. We're going to talk a little bit about today, uh, and let's go to the Lord and just continue in worship, asking him to speak to our hearts, changing our ways, and so that we might glorify his Son. Father, thank you so much for how you bless us, how you transform us, how you change us. God, you have made this day. Let us do exactly what your word says and rejoice and be glad in it. God, I want to be glad. I want to be glad for your blessings that come and are new every morning, that your mercies that come each and every day. God, I want to be thankful for every little thing. Lord, you are good, and what you do is good, so keep teaching us your ways. Father, I pray that you would teach us, especially through your word today, that we would know it and we would live it. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We are continuing with a series on the life of Moses and lessons that we learn from him. Um, today, we're going to kind of look at a lesson that, uh, I'll be honest, is one that, um, confessionally, I think I need to listen to all the more. Not only listen to, but learn to do. Um, but before we get into the message too much, how about those Orioles? I, I mean, I, I don't. Uh, uh, Orioles are not always the team that we're real excited. I mean, I mean, we're always excited about them, right? But you know what I'm saying that we're not always at the top of the AL East, right? I mean, the, the, the Orioles are winning some games right now, and we're kind of excited about that. And the Yankees and stuff are at the bottom, and the Red Sox are at the bottom. I mean, there's a little bit of like. Um, <clears throat> now, some of you guys, I, I, I don't want to get. We cheer. Are any of you Fairweather fans? You know what I'm talking about, right? It's like you like your team when they're doing great, and boy, when they're not doing great, we're complaining about them, we're putting it right. We call baseball the great American pastime because, let's face facts, you can spend a lot of time watching baseball, and you can spend a lot of time watching games, and uh, <coughs> we can spend a lot of time complaining about, right? We complain about the managers. We complain about the player lineup choice. We complain about... There's a lot of ways that we can just kind of use sports as well a thing that we get to complain about, as if we needed something else to complain about, right? <coughs> And when we rejoice, we need to rejoice. Well, I'm going to tell you, I don't actually think baseball is the great American pastime. I actually think complaining is our great American pastime. I actually think that's what we love to do. We love to complain. We love to just complain about everything. It's too hot, or it's too rainy, or it's too cold. I mean, guys, it's going to be hot. It's going to be rainy. It's going to be cold. It's called weather, you know, right? And things change. We complain about work. Anybody realize why we call work work? Because it's work. <laughs> of course it's work, right? Ecclesiastes, I was reading this week where it talks about there's nothing better for a man to do to rejoice and enjoy all of the labor that God has given them under the sun. That we, we, we rejoice in God's presence and we rejoice in actually our labor. That's crazy, but it's God's call on our lives. We love to complain. 
complaining, arguing, grumbling. It's actually, there's a commandment about that. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, it says this. Look at it. Look what it actually says. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Without grumbling or arguing. That's this next slide. Look, look at this. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Everything without grumbling or arguing. Not with grumbling or arguing. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. It's a simple word. It's a simple instruction, but it's one that I don't think we take to heart. This morning, let's look at the life of Moses. Let's look at the people of Israel. Let's look at, as they come out of Egypt, God has performed miraculous things. He has sent the plagues upon Egypt, overturning world power, number one. He parted the Red Sea so that they could cross through on dry ground. God has done amazing things over the last couple of months for them. And here, two months into the journey, we're going to see the complaining begin. Let's look at Exodus chapter 15. It says this. Can I stop and complain for a minute? Whenever I turn my computer, all of the words keep going off the screen. See, I found a way to complain. Oh, it's, it's like my favorite thing. Okay, all right, I've got it back. Here it goes. <clears throat> then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went to the desert of Shur. And for three days, they traveled in the desert without finding water. Three days? I'm getting thirsty. Well, it says, then they came uh, to Marah. But they couldn't drink its water because it was bitter. And that's why the place is called Mara. Mara means, Mara means bitterness. And so, verse 24, here it begins. They grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord. And the Lord showed him a piece of wood, and he threw the wood into the water, and it became fit to drink. The Lord issued a ruling there. What did he say? He gave it as an instruction and a test. He said to them, If you listen carefully to the Lord and do what is right, if you pay attention to his commands and you keep all his decrees, I will not bring upon you any of the diseases I brought onto the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Okay, let's stop for a second and examine this little story. Let's look at this little episode. Here they came out of Egypt. God has done all of these miraculous things. He's done the impossible. He sent hail when there wasn't supposed to be hail. He sent darkness in the middle of the day. He's shown his incredible power over all of the gods of Egypt, showing his rule over the whole world. He's literally taken the sea and split it in half so they could walk through on God, dry ground. God made a way when there was no way. God provided him. He took the slaves and made them free. He took a scattered people, a people that were not a people, and made them into a nation, and a great nation. And he was leading them by a cloud by day and fire by night. His presence was always there. There just wasn't water. There just wasn't water. It wasn't It's great. God, we need water. Now, the Lord knows what you need, right? The Lord knows that he needs water. The Lord made the heavens and the earth. The Lord made us and our bodies. He knew that they needed water. There was no water. God brought them to a place. He brought them, remember, the clouds leading by day, the fire by night. The Lord brought them to this lake, this spring, this place where the water was bitter. He brought them to that place 
and it wasn't what they wanted. It wasn't what they needed. The water was bitter. And of course, wouldn't you expect they would grumble? They would complain. They hadn't learned their lesson, right? They hadn't learned that the God of heavens and earth, the God who could turn the Nile into blood, could make the bitter water pure. He could make the dirty water clean. He could transform the situation. The people had not learned their lesson. They were very quick to do what we are all very quick to do, and that's grumble. That's complain. And so notice very quickly the scripture. It says that the Lord issued a ruling. He gave them an instruction, and he made this a test. He made this a test. And that's what we're going to look like. Look what it says. Listen carefully to what the Lord is saying. Nope, back up for a second. Listen carefully to the, what the Lord is saying. Do do what is right in his eyes and pay attention to his commands and keep all of his decrees. I am the Lord who heals you. Do you notice what it's saying there? Listen carefully, then do what's right. Pay attention and keep his decrees. It's a test. It's an instruction. It's something they're supposed to do. Do you guys remember those like bad dreams we used to have before like the first days of school? Liam told me he was going to kindergarten. He's pretty excited about that. He turned five this year. I wonder if he's going to have those, oh, no, I'm going to school dreams. Did anybody have those bad dreams when you were going to school? Did you know the teacher people have those? We've passed the midsummer mark. The first part of the summer is good. When I passed, I had one of those dreams last night. The teachers have them. Remember, I got to teach school. It's coming up. I told my wife this morning, I woke up, I said, I had a dream that I signed up to teach a foreign language class, and I don't even know if it's a real language, and I certainly didn't know how to teach it. And I'm sitting here thinking, I'm Googling instructions like, what is this language, and can I come up with some lessons? I'm thinking, ChatGBT, can you come up with some lessons for me to teach? I mean, I don't know what to do here. It was a language I'd never heard of, and why did I sign up to teach it? I don't know. I couldn't find the classroom, and I certainly didn't have anything to teach. Okay, you know what that is. Is, right? That's that anxiety nightmares. Teachers have these too. I'm just being confessional about it. We've got these too. It is time for getting our papers together, getting our lessons plans together, and getting our exams together. Exams have a purpose to show whether we've actually learned the material, to show if we've learned the concepts, to show if we've grown. In the same way, God gives us exams. God gives us a testing. God leads us to places where he is helping those lessons take deep root in our soul. Look what it says. Listen carefully and do what is right. Right? We're supposed to, number one, listen and then do. Pay attention to his commands and keep his decrees. There's a very simple little pattern there. Listen and do. Pay attention and keep the commands. It's echoed in James chapter 1. Don't just listen to the word of God. Do what it says. And there it is. Listen and do. Pay attention and keep the commands. And then what is the result? Then you result in, in the protection that God gives, the healing that he gives. Now, God has already loved us. You're not going to affect, he's, you're not going to get God to love you more. You know that, right? God so loved you. You can't earn God's love. God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You cannot change the fact that God loves you. 
but you can do better on the tests. You can help that, ma that process of transformation that's going on to your life by listening and obeying, which results in that protection because you are under his plans. Because when we do it wrong, guess what? It often results in wrong consequences. It happens to bring about wrong results, and it brings a healing. Not necessarily always a physical healing. It's not like, well, if I'll just obey all God's commands, I'll never be sick again. It's not that, but it is a healing of our soul. The one who can heal our bodies is always healing our hearts and our minds, changing our perspectives on what's going on. Well, the Israelites, after this little event at Marah, God takes them to a place called Elam where there's 12 palm trees and plenty of water. And then he leads them forward into the first exam. Let's take a look at the first exam. It says, the whole Israelite community set out and came to the desert of sin. Now, that's just the name of the place. We use sin as a word for, like, disobedience to God, right? Missing the mark, failing. That, that, that's not what the word here is talking about at all. It is just literally uh, <clears throat> just the name of the place, the desert of sin. It says it, le it, was, it was between Elam and Sinai, and on the 15th day of the second month, don't miss that. They'd only been out of Egypt for two months, right? 60 days here since they've seen the waters part and the plagues happen. It hasn't been a long time. Two months after they came out of Egypt. It says this, that in the desert, the whole community, what? Grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. What, wait, what? Are you listening to that complaint? <sighs> I'm late again. You know what? Lord, just take me down. <laughs> you know? Right? Does anybody get those kind of extreme kind of complaints, right? Oh, my goodness. I, I, you know, I, I, burned, I burned dinner. Lord, you know, I'm through. I'm just through. I can't handle it all. We just go. They went overboard. Look at how they grumbled. If only we had died in Egypt. And then they start remembering, I think falsely, what was going on. There we sat around with pots of meat. And we ate all the food we wanted. But you brought us out to this desert to starve to death. And you're going to starve the entire assembly to death. Here, as God led them to the next place where there didn't seem to be abundance of food, the people are getting hungry, and they're just saying, what's going to happen here? We're wandering around in the desert. How is this going to, how are we going to survive? How are we going to go forward? God, yeah, you're leading us with the cloud by night, or by day, and the fire by night. We know your presence is with us, but God, we got to eat. And you know, back in Egypt, things were better. Why did they fail? Why did they start grumbling? Remember the commands, don't do, do everything without arguing and complaining. Why did they fail? I think three reasons. They didn't remember, they didn't believe, and they didn't understand. Let's look at it in, in those three ways. Let's look at not remembering. What did they not remember? They didn't remember, well, one, they didn't remember the difficulties they had in Egypt that God had just brought them out of, right? What are they saying? There we sat around with pots of meat, and we had all the food we wanted. Is that an accurate description of what was going on in Egypt? I'm pretty sure that wasn't. I'm pretty sure if you've been through this series or been reading through the Exodus story, you will remember that um, Exodus chapter 1 verse 22 says this. Pharaoh gave this order that all, every Hebrew boy that was born to them would be thrown into the Nile. Um, in Exodus chapter 1, it says that 
the Egyptians were so concerned about the rising population of the Israelites that they were trying to work them to death and gave them harsh labor in the fields and in their construction projects. That literally, uh, Exodus chapter 1 tells us that they were being worked to death, every boy being thrown into the Nile. There was mass murder. There was an attempted genocide amongst the people, or at least to reduce the population. It was a horrible experience. They are not remembering the difficulties of the past. But more importantly, they're not remembering the provisions of the past. God with a mighty hand had brought them out of Egypt. God with a mighty hand had turned the Nile into blood. God with a mighty hand had destroyed the crops and destroyed the livestock of the Egyptians. God with a mighty hand showed his power over the weather, his power over nature, his power even over life and death. They had forgotten that the God who had gone with them has destroyed the Egyptian army by parting the sea for them and bringing the Red Sea into closing upon the Egyptians. Brothers and sisters, count your many blessings. Name them one by one. You know that old hymn? Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. Do you remember how that hymn starts? It says... When the days of trouble, you know, is filled with care, you're about to despair. I don't know if I remember exactly the words, and I'm probably going to rhyme it wrong. So, uh, but there's all, I, I can see Roy's over here ready to start singing right now. Um, uh, it, some of you have that hymn on your, but it starts with, there's cares, burdens, difficulties. We're weighed down, and we have forgotten all of the ways God has brought us through. We've forgotten all of the times he has answered those prayers, that he's brought those healing, uh, times of healing in our life, that he's brought, made a way where there seemed to be no way, where there didn't seem to be enough money in the bank, where there didn't seem to be enough uh, energy in, 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 in the tank, where there just didn't, how are we going to get through as a church? How are we going to get through as God's people? And God provided. What are your stories? What are your stories? What are the places where you're looking back and say, this is how God worked in our family. This is how God worked in our church. This, where are your stories? What are they? Can you recite them? Has God done these things? Have you set up these stones of remembrance, these places of memory in your life? For me, we definitely have some. I've shared some of those stories with you. I've shared with you about the time when Vicki and I literally had no money. We just, we were new grad students. We had moved to Syracuse. And I watched every month. We were going down and down and down. We had no jobs. And it was, we were, mm -hmm, we, I, we had enough for one semester. By October, that semester's almost over. And we almost don't have enough money. And where is it going to come from? Um, and a gentleman backed into our car um, and dented the door. It was already dented, but that's okay um, because the insurance company paid for to uh, fix the door again. And uh, we still didn't get the door fixed, but we did have enough money to pay the rent and pay for food that month. If God can send a man to... He was actually from our hometown. So if the guy from our hometown could come all the way to Syracuse to run into our car to provide dinner and rent, then God can provide today. You've seen it. You know where he's brought healing. You know what? We need to recite the stories. We need to remember God's provision. Number two, they just didn't believe. They just didn't believe. Right? What does it say? Um, 
Then the Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat. And in the morning you will be filled with bread. This is on the next slide. You will eat meat. You will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. Well, that evening, what happened? <laughs> well, the quail came. They covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. Now, the quail, I understand. All of a sudden, God sent meat to eat. All of a sudden, God sent dinner. Um, this is before Grubhub. This is before, you know, all of that. God sent it in. I mean, all of a sudden, the birds are everywhere. You just went outside and caught one, and you've got dinner. All of a sudden, God provided the, 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 the meal. But that wasn't the main thing. Some of you guys that are in the taste and see, you realize that bread is sort of the main part of the diet of the day. And he sent dew in the morning? Well, look at verse 14. When the flakes, um, when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. And the Israelites, they saw it and they said, what is it? For they didn't know what it was. Now, this wasn't Frosted Flakes, right? I mean, that's a cereal by Kellogg's, right? A good one. I, I like it. Very sugary. Probably not good if you've got, you know, sugar problems. But anyway, um, it's not the Frosted Flakes. But it was literally this dew that became sort of this grainishy kind of stuff. Um, it, he describes it. And the people didn't know exactly what, what is this? What, what, what is this stuff? Well, they called it manna. Manna literally translated means, what is it? They just called it, what is it? And, and Moses tells them, Moses says, well, uh, tell them it's the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. It's this bread from heaven, this manna, and it's coming to our culture. We can, Oh, there will be showers of blessing. There will be manna coming. We, we talk about manna as this great gift, but the people are like, yeah, just, I don't know what it is, man, but we eat it. It's good, I, mean, I guess. It's, it, but we just, you know. Manna. It's just manna. What is it? God had provided something miraculous. The God who ordered the universe did something unexpected, something that was unheard of, something that's never been seen since. Our God is a God who definitely uses the, the doctors and who uses uh, economies and who uses other things to provide for us. But our God is a God who can do anything he wants. There is nothing too hard for him. If he wants to make bread out of thin air, he can make bread out of thin air. He can cover the ground with manna if he wants to do it. We need to believe that our God can do it all. Do we walk in faith? When Jesus was with his disciples and the storm had come and he was asleep in the boat and the waves are coming and the boat is swamped and these fishermen who knew the Sea of Galilee like the back of their hand cried out to him, Lord, don't you care if we drown? Jesus stands up and says, shh, be still. And then says, where is your faith? Don't you understand that Jesus who controls the wind and the waves, the one who can raise the dead, the one that can heal the sick is with us. He can do the miraculous at any time. We walk around as if, oh no, how is the church going to make budget next year? I'm sorry, how small is our God? How small? Hey, oh no, God, how are you going to help in this situation? Our God can do it all. He can spin galaxies into existence by a word. He can handle whatever problem we're facing. The Lord is king over the universe. They didn't remember, but they didn't believe. Now they're seeing in their midst, not just the glory of God, not just the presence of God, but the provision of God. 
And finally, they didn't understand. They didn't understand what God was doing. Now, this takes a little bit of a <clears throat> interpretation and watching the text closely here. But did you pick up on the fact that in this second test here in chapter 16 of Exodus, God had led them to this desert. God led them to the place where there was no meat and where there was no bread. God led them to this particular spot for a purpose. He led them away from, if we look at the very first verse, look at verse first. In verse, chapter 16, verse 1, it says, The whole Israelite community set out following God's leadership. They set out from Elam and came to the desert of sin. They left Elam and went out here. Now, if we back up one chapter to chapter 15, verse 27, it, said, now, uh, it says this. They came to Elam where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped near the water. So I know that says chapter 16. That was my error. Chapter 15, verse 27. Elam was a place of abundance. Elam was a place where they were provided for. Plenty of water, plenty of shade. That's where you want to camp out. God led them to the desert. He took them that way. Now, not every problem or every difficulty is from the Lord. But we know this from Romans 8, 28, that God works all things, even the difficult things. God works all things, things that he led us to and things that have just come our way in this fallen world. God takes us through these difficulties for a purpose. God works all things together for what? You ready? The good. The good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. The good. Now, that doesn't mean everything's good. Okay? Those of you that have faced the really hard stuff, right? The deep stuff. Those of you who have been walking through the valley of the shadow of death. You know that it isn't all good. But he uses it for good. Now, he defines that good in the next verse. And often we don't realize that the next verse is so important. Romans chapter uh, 8 verse 29 says this. For those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. What's our destiny? Being conformed to the image of Jesus. The good is being made like Jesus. The good is being transformed into his character. The good is being made so that we are those who walk through the difficulties in faith. Who walk through the, the hard times in faith. We are those who proclaim to the world his goodness, his greatness, as his provision. The God who heals us, heals us. The God who sustains us, sustains us. You realize he can't heal us without there being a problem. You realize he can't sustain us and miraculously sustain us if there was no difficulty or need. No miracles, in fact, happen except in response to great difficulty. We are being conformed to the image of Jesus who went before us enduring the cross. Enduring the cross. Scorning its shame. It wasn't fun. It wasn't good for Jesus. But it was good for us. That good Friday, that death on the cross, became the good news of his resurrection, ultimately bringing life for us from the dead, eternal life and for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus. We need to understand God took them to this desert place. God was training them. Now, this is even made more clear as we look at the actual instructions that God gives. Look at the instructions that God gives about the manna. The what is it? <clears throat> First, 
instruction. Gather one omer of food, of manna, per person. That's how much you're supposed to get. All right, everybody, we're going to send you out there to gather some manna today. What is it? We don't know what it is. That's why we call it manna. It's just called manna because that means what is it? Go get some what is it. We don't know what it is. Go get it. Go get one omer per person. Now, did everybody have a measuring thing? Probably not. So you all just go and just, just put it in whatever you got. I mean, you put it in your coat, put it in your shirt, put, put it in a basket or a jug, whatever you got, just go and get it. Now, <clears throat> there's some of you guys who are just like these Israelites. Some of you, if I told you, all right, guys, there's men out there, go collect a bunch, uh, get one omer per person. Some of you would be the precision people. You'd be like, the scientists among you, okay, I got to get an omer measuring cup. Most of us are not that way. Some of you, though, are the guys that are going to go out there and you would just, I mean, you're just getting as much. You don't know how much Omer is, so you're going like over the top. You're going to make sure you do extra. I get those in my, my, my students, you know, when you give them a little essay test. You give them a specific amount of space to write the, their answers, you know, at the end of the test. I'm sort of expecting you to do that much. I've got some students that write with really, really big letters. I don't know what's going on there, but I mean, I'm thinking, okay, you're not in kindergarten anymore. I mean, I, if Liam gave me those big numbers, that's fine, big letters. But some people write with really big letters as if it's like, oh, well, they filled the space. I guess they answered the question. I am not fooled. There are some students that ask for extra paper. I had one girl, I thought, okay, sure, you passed my test, and I'm going to go ahead and give you a master's degree. I mean, you wrote a thesis here. I mean, I don't need that much information. Just show me you know the content. I don't really want to read all of this. Got to be honest. I, 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 there's other things I want to do with my life. Look at what the Israelites, the Israelites did as they were told. Okay, they did it, but here's what. Some gathered much. How much is an omer? I want to make sure I have enough. They gathered and gathered and gathered. Some were like, yeah, that's probably good enough. <laughs> Put some in their pockets. But when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone gathered as much as they needed. Interesting. God somehow miraculously, and the people who were like, you know, those overachievers, and the people who were kind of the slackers, either one, what they gathered was enough. Because what God was trying to teach them, it's God who provides. Now, does that mean we're not supposed to work hard and we should all be slackers? No. Uh, does that mean we're all supposed to be overachievers? Probably no either. We need to trust that in all of our work, God is the one who provides. We need to believe. We need to remember. We need to trust as God leads that our work is enough. Now, <clears throat> I don't know if you got me figured out yet, uh, wh which one I kind of lean to in church work and ministry work. I'm kind of the one that's like, okay, work harder, work harder, work harder. Do more, do more, do more. The more you do, the more it'll happen. More, 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 more. There's a lesson for me. There's a lesson for me. I can't control it. I can't make more things happen. I can't do more in my life or the life of this congregation. I need to say, Lord, this is in your hands. This is trying to teach me. No, do what it says. Each person gather, each person work, each person serve, and trust the Lord for the results. That was instruction number one. Instruction number two, don't leave any until morning. Take what you got, make the bread for the day. That's what you're supposed to do. Don't, don't keep some for tomorrow. You'll have some for tomorrow. God will provide. God will provide. You need to trust. Just gather each for, for the day. Well, what happened? <clears throat> 
Look what it says. So Moses told him, verse 19, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, there it is, however. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses, and they kept part of it till morning. <clears throat> savers among us? Are some of you guys the savers among us? I'm the saver, right? I mean, you've got to have some for the rainy day, and the rainy day after the rainy day, and the rainy day after the rainy day, because you want to make sure that you haven't just saved enough, but enough when that enough is... I'm always wanting to save. He said, no, don't keep any of it till morning. God will provide for each day. And so they kept part of it until morning. What happened? It was full of maggots, and it began to smell. And Moses was angry with them. They didn't listen and obey. Pay attention and do. Number three, don't gather any on the Sabbath. What was the Sabbath? Seventh day. One day, you're supposed to rest one day. So you're supposed to, God gave them specific instructions through Moses. Gather twice as much on day six, and it'll last till day seven. Anybody got a problem with that command? I would be the first guy to say, um, remember the maggots? Remember the smelliness? How is this supposed to work, Moses? And Moses is like, God's got that covered. It, the, if you gather twice as much on the sixth day, like you're being told, it won't smell. It won't have maggots. So sure enough, when they gathered twice as much, uh, it, didn't, it lasted until the next day. Um, it didn't smell. It didn't get maggots. But look at verse 27. <clears throat> Nevertheless... And once again, not Exodus 7. I didn't get my, num my numbers right. Uh, this is still in chapter uh, 16. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. They found none. And the lo Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and instructions? How long? I showed you. I've provided for you. I gave you commandments. Every time you disobeyed the commandments, it didn't go well. Every time you kept the commandments, it went right. How long will you refuse to obey? There are some of us that are stuck in that sin cycle, right? You've lived it long enough, right? Yeah, you've walked down this path, and all of a sudden it's like, boy, that sin just keeps coming back into your life. That thing that you not, know you're not supposed to do, you keep on doing it, and it keeps on, right? You've walked through this sin cycle, and you... you and you've got the forgiveness of Jesus. You've got the love of Christ, but it's in your life. And it just seems to have a hold. Peter says it this way in, in 1 Peter. Um, Haven't you spent enough time doing what the pagans choose to do? It's time to leave that behind. The instructions were clear. Listen and obey. Hear and do. The second exam <coughs> comes in the next chapter. We're going to see if they didn't get it right this first time with the man and the quail. Let's give one more test, uh, God says. And then look at chapter 17. It says this. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as God commanded. Uh, they camped at Rephidim, um, and there was no water for the people to drink. All right. First place, water, but it was bitter. God healed it. God made it clean. Second place, no food, but God provided. Quail at night, manna day. Next test. What do you think they did? How do you think they responded? 
Okay, it's already up there. The answer's already on the screen. You don't even have to park your choices. They quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. They grumbled again. They complained again. And Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? Why are you testing God in this? The Lord has provided. The Lord has done. Why did they fail the second time? They didn't remember. They didn't believe. They didn't understand. They didn't remember. They didn't believe. They didn't understand. Brothers and sisters, what is it what in your life that you find yourself always complaining about? Is, is there some place where, where you're just not remembering God's provision? Is there some place where you're not remembering all that God has already done in you and for you through Jesus Christ and through every other miracle in your life? Is there some place where you're not believing? You don't think God can actually come through. You don't believe that God can actually bring about a change. You don't believe God is God. Or is there something you're just not understanding? That you're not understanding that the Lord is wanting to work in your life where he's trying to make you into the kind of person who doesn't complain, who does trust in him in all things, who does bring about uh, this new life. Now look, these stories that Moses is going through, these stories that the Israelites have a purpose. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, about their grumblings, by the way, it says these things occurred as examples to us to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. That evil thing of we've just got to have it our way. We've just got to have the world our way. Instead, um, as I read earlier in Philippians chapter 2, we're given this command. Do everything without grumbling or complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked um, and warped generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. This is our verse that we always use when we go on mission trip. Those of you wanting to go to Zambia, we have a mission trip meeting after, after our Bible studies today. But uh, remember, this is my verse I always give. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Because on mission trip, there's plenty to complain and argue with. The lines will be too long. We're going to be late. The food's not going to be to your liking. It's going to be too hot. The bed's going to be uncomfortable. There's something. Just 214, do everything without complaining or arguing. But look at the reason why. Look at the reason why. So that you might become blameless and pure children of God. I, we know what the world looks like. We know what the world complains about. We know what the world gripes about. We know what... The, be different. You're going to be blameless and pure. You're going to look like the children of God. You're going to shine like a star in the universe as you're holding firmly to the Word of God. Now, holding firmly, that means pay careful attention, listen, but also do what it says. Listen and obey. All right. As you hear me grumble and complain, would you do something for me? All you got to say is 214. And I'm going to know what you're talking about. 214, I know what you're going to mean. I know 214, I know. Mike, you're doing it again. My wife's thinking, oh yeah, I'm writing that. <laughs> yeah, uh, 214, ready to go. Let's help each other become those that truly do reflect the glory of God always. Now some of you... <laughs> You're not experiencing this because there's no way you can. 
You have never made that commitment to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've never said yes to him to, to forgive you for your sins, uh, to bring you into this new life that he has promised. You've never said, Jesus, let your death on the cross count for me. I need you. Today may be your day. If you will say yes to him, he promises to give you new life, to give you eternal life, to forgive all of your sins, to put his Holy Spirit within you, to transform your life from the inside out. Today, if that's you, would you just make that commitment, saying, Jesus, I want to be yours. For some of you, maybe you're here today and you know that God is calling you to be back. Back with his family, part of this, and maybe even part of this church right here. If that's you... Maybe you should respond too and say, yes, this is where God has called us to be at this time. We want to be those, not complaining, not grumbling, not griping, because let me tell you, as God takes our church forward, there will be plenty of things for us to complain about. But to be those that say, yes, Lord, walking in your ways and your truth, we wait for you because your name and your renown are the desires of our heart. No matter what you bring, we want to bring glory to you. If that's the response you need to make, Maybe you make that today as well. You can speak to me afterwards or one of the other pastor leaders or even right now as the worship team comes and leads us in song. Um, I'm going to be at the front. Pastor Barry will be here as well to receive you. You come and maybe make the decision that God is calling you to make. Let me pray for us and then we'll enter this time of singing and decision. God, thank you so much for how you provided for the Israelites. Thank you so much for how you taught them to listen and obey. As words for us, help us be those who trust in you, who remember all that you've done, who believe in your word, and who always seek to know you and understand your good actions in every situation. God, help us. Help us by your Spirit. Lord, I ask that you would take today and you would make it a day of rejoicing and of thanksgiving as we sing praises to you with joyful hearts, content in the things that you've given us. God, help us be your people, shining like stars in the universe as we reflect the glory of your son Jesus, being conformed to his character. And so we pray in his name. Amen. You come, you respond as God is leading and calling you.